0: The moment before the doctor actually said sort of the sentence, you know, I, I think this is autism spectrum disorder, Jack had banged his shin on a metal filing cabinet. And he just dissolved to the floor, screaming. And it wouldn't let me touch him. I couldn't gather him. He just became like a ball of fury. And it wasn't the first time. And I'll never forget the doctor said, you know, he, he doesn't seek you out for comfort, does he? And, and it was really the definitive moment for me. And as a mother, you know, uh, to hear it verbalized was very powerful, but also 100%
1: the truth. This is Diary of a Nation. I'm your host, Christina Zlotnick. My podcast explores the human experience, Carrie Cariello is a mother of five. Yes, that's her real name. It has a nice ring to it, doesn't it? She and her family live here in New Hampshire, and one of her sons has autism. She's a blogger and the author of two memoirs. Her experience has broadened my understanding of people with autism, and I hope her stories do the same for you. Carrie, I've had sex three times. And as far as I can tell, you've had sex six times in your life. That is all. It's all I've done. (laughs) And Joey, your first son, has a funny story about that. But he thinks you've only had sex five times. Well, he's 18 now, so he's since
0: learned differently, I think. But yeah, way back when, when we were having our fifth child, and he kind of connected the dots that sex is what leads to a baby – he had a lot of questions about how often and where and how many times. And I just told him the
1: same answer. I, I give my father five times. <laughs> <laughs> you wrote that your first pregnancy ended in miscarriage. Mm. And my first try, I was diagnosed with an ectopic pregnancy. Mm. So I had to go to the hospital. I took methotrexate. And after that pregnancy ended... I really didn't think I'd be able to have children. I had that real fear. And I just want people to know that this happens more often than we know, because not everyone's comfortable talking about it, for one. And we, you and I, know that pain. What do you want people to know? Oh, absolutely, we
0: know that pain. And it is a very lonely, isolating experience. It was my first also, so I was really trapped in that that bubble of fear that I would never have a family or I would never have a family traditionally. I think as I move forward, you know, I'm 46 now. So I'm entering other phases of womanhood that are also shrouded in secrecy and shame and of fertility, um, perimenopause, menopause and all the, the changes that accompany that. I had a hysterectomy 18 months ago and it was a really challenging process of healing and recovery. And I found myself once again kind of alone in this experience in terms of that there aren't a lot of books on miscarriage, hysterectomies, perimenopausal rage, um, hormones, raising teenagers at the same time our hormones are skyrocketing through our veins. So I think as I move forward and write more and more, I'm looking to expand kind of the topics to maybe encapsulate some of those Secret kind of hidden, you know, mysteries that are really very common to us
1: all. I think I'm in perimenopause right now. Ooh, we're, we're, <laughs> I I know I, sweat I am when I sleep. Yes. I can tell I'm moodier, and I really need to regulate that. Mm-hmm. But I have two daughters, and now you have five children. Your second child, Jack, he was born on Mother's Day, and at age two, he was diagnosed with autism. The very next day, you wrote that you found out you were pregnant with your daughter, your fourth child. What were you thinking the moment the doctor told you that Jack has autism?
0: You're bringing me right back. So he was a little under two. I want to say 18 months or something, but close. You know, there had been a lot leading up to that. We lived in Buffalo, New York at the time. Um, we had trouble getting appointments. You know, this was seventeen, sixteen 16 to 17 years ago. So we were kind of on the cusp of this bubble of autism that since burst, if you will, where it became so much more prevalent. I just knew in my bones that something wasn't uh, Right. You know, I had a son who was a year older, exactly thirteen months, and I would say to myself, "Well, I mean, Joey last year was doing Patty Cake by this time, or he was putting on, you know, my shoes and shuffling around, or doing Peekaboo, and Jack did none of that." So I certainly was prepared going into this doctor's office, but there's definitely details that stand out for me. It was a really tiny stuffy room and the doctor was really kind and quiet, really in observation mode and You know, Jack at that point was like a whirlwind. He couldn't, we couldn't keep him still. We couldn't keep him in a room. We couldn't keep him in a chair. The moment before the doctor actually said sort of the sentence, you know, I I think this is autism spectrum disorder. Jack had banged his shin on a metal filing cabinet. And he just dissolved to the floor, screaming, and it wouldn't let me touch him. I couldn't gather him. He just became like a ball of fury, and it wasn't the first time. And I'll never forget the doctor said, you know, he, he doesn't seek you out for comfort, does he? And and it was really the definitive moment for me. And as a mother, you know, uh, to hear it verbalized was very powerful, but also a hundred percent the truth.
1: That's so sad as a mother to hear that. Yeah. And and I do want
0: to fast forward and say, you know, uh, not much changed in the landscape. Jack, it, Jack doesn't seek people out for comfort in many ways. But just this week, he's 17. He came in and I was sitting in my office and he draped himself over the window seat and he said, I love you. And he said, I have never said that before. And then he said, you should say thank you now. (laughs) (laughs) So that is Jack, you know. It was huge. It was huge. It is a reminder that the firsts do come, that we get there and and, uh, we're on autism's timeline.
1: What's his exact diagnosis? So
0: when we were in Buffalo, it was pervasive developmental disorder. Uh, We moved here to New Hampshire when Jack was um, almost three. And here in New Hampshire at that
1: time, they didn't have that classification. So it just went to autism spectrum disorder. Could you define some of the terms specific to the behaviors associated with autism, especially Jack? Sure.
0: I consider this like autism's co-pilot, sort of the Robin to the Batman. Jack suffers from crushing anxiety. Um, It's debilitating. He does take medicine for it. That was a long journey on our part to, to decide that that was the right thing for us. And it was, it continues to be, um, Jack also struggles greatly with regulation, keeping his body still. So the people with autism often have what's called self-stimulation behaviors or stimming, um, a certain kind of repetitive movement that brings calmness and regulation to their body. So Jack's is he jumps a lot. Bear in mind, he's just about six foot four. So the jumping is, it's intense, you know, can be disruptive. He also rubs his hands together really quickly. It's almost like he's at a campfire. He's trying to warm himself up. And when he's really distressed, he picks at his scalp, or he he tends to rub his eyes or his face quite a bit. So, you know, we've learn to come to know that when you're deregulated when any of us are deregulated we don't take in information we don't learn we don't process so a large part of our day is dedicated to keeping his body calm he struggles with something called cognitive flexibility which is the concept of knowing that other people might have thoughts ideas or opinions that are different than our own Um, it ties very closely to his literal nature He is honest, unflinchingly raw and honest. So we we work on something they call bubble thoughts where, you know, certain things need to
1: stay inside of our brain. I remember you describing your book, The Pocket Brain, and I love that. Yes, It makes a lot of sense as a child or an adult. You know, so many themes and
0: concepts I've encountered through my journey alongside autism have applied to myself, to each one of my children. Sure. Uh, It's really been kind of groundbreaking for us as a family. He continues to sort of struggle or have different kind of vulnerabilities. He is 17. Emotionally, he's probably 10. And so his body and and spirit and brain are not exactly like lined up right now, maturity-wise.
1: That makes sense, too.
0: Right. And so we, he longs to do certain things he sees his 18 year old brother do. And that is, you know, I I always say autism is, you know, death by a thousand paper cuts. It's nothing big. There's no big gash. There's no big sort of, there's no like a lot of blood, but every once in a while, there's just this sting and, uh, and driving right now is one of them for him because his older brother has his license. And then my third son, Charlie, Today is starting to drive oh. with, with an adult, you know. And then congratulations, the I think. congratulations, <laughs> to Charlie. So <laughs> that's Jack's, scary for the parents. <laughs> oh gosh, of all the things I never imagined, it was like waiting up for a teenager. It's got to be top ten of top five of parenting hurdles. Yeah, I said to Jack, "How will you feel if slash when Charlie gets his license before you?" He said, "I will, I will feel jealous, but he will take me places."
1: <laughs> oh. That's a good reaction. It is a very... positive reaction. Very
0: good. So,
1: You met your husband when you both worked at Uno's Pizzeria Mm -hmm. in New York. Mm -hmm. And what are the odds that you'd fall in love with someone who has a last name that's similar to your first name?
0: Yeah. So Joe was a cook, and I was a server. We said waitress back then. I don't think you say that anymore. We (laughs) did
1: say that back then. I was one as well. Yeah.
0: And so... Oh, he was just so cute, a dark-haired guy, but quiet, kind of a quiet guy. And so he invited me to his house for dinner. And this is almost embarrassing to admit, but I didn't know his last name until I got there. I mean, I, yeah, I guess... Well, you don't really need to know. Really, I knew where he lived, and I don't know. So we got there, and he told me his last name. And the first thing I said is, I could never marry you, because Carrie Carriella, like, who's to think? Or, or what would that be like? <laughs> and so, you know... Three years later, four years later, there we are.
1: (laughs) Your husband's a dentist. He owns Dovetail Dental Associates here in Amherst. And I know from being a patient of his that he has a wonderful bedside manner. And the way you write about him in your memoirs, it makes me realize that he's every bit as compassionate as a father and as a husband. What would he say about being a father to a son with autism?
0: That's a great question. I, I've never like posed that to him exactly. I, I heard one time from an, occupation, from an occupational therapist that a father's job is to sort of push the ducks out of the nest, the chicks out of the nest, and the mother's job is to draw them close. And that metaphor exactly lines up with our parenting styles. You know, Joe uh, looks at Jack and doesn't see vulnerabilities. He sees potential. He sees possibility. Great. He sees Uh, The other day he had him pumping gas in town and I thought, oh my God, the whole place probably could have gone up in flames, you know, or, or he's sending the boys up on the roof to hang Christmas lights. Jack's going up there with him. With the rest of them. Um, he is very much a pusher. You can do this, Jack. We'll get you a debit card, Jack. You know, Jack's working now. Joe was the first one to You'd be like, okay, every Saturday we go to the bank and we deposit your check and we have to work on your signature. Life skills. Just really, really emphasizes that he can do it. And uh, I talk a lot about autism grief and I say a father's autism grief is inward, it's um, it's dark. It's something they visit, I think, Joe visits when everyone else goes to sleep, you know, and he's kind of down on the couch with the dog. A mother's grief is wild and colorful, and it fills the room, and it takes up space. And so aligning those two recovery sort of healing processes has been a journey for both of us because we just both come at it so differently. But 17 years, I think we're beginning to acknowledge the gifts we each bring.
1: What has Jack's autism taught your other four children about humanity? I, I think, you know, they've only known it as a big part of their
0: lives. It's not a secret in our house. We talk about autism frequently, even to the point of saying, Jack, you know, I don't remember dates the way you do. That's your autism brain working, which is beautiful. But mine is, my wiring is different. I think they've really learned how to listen to people. I think because Jack... Um, one of his vulnerabilities is that he takes quite a while to respond sometimes. Words are not his friends. I liken them to a bunch of butterflies that are swirling around, and he has to take a moment and pluck them out and be able to line them up. And so my kids, although we are a loud group, they've learned to make space for that. And I think it's translated outside of um, our walls. They make space for other people. You know, uh, Jack is in a special school right here in Amherst. He got transferred out in sixth grade. And that was really difficult for all of us. And uh, a couple years ago, I was talking to my oldest son, and I said, you know, I don't know, sometimes I think maybe we should bring Jack back to Bedford High School. And he said, Mom, I, I don't think I could take it. He said, I worry so much. And he named a couple kids that he sort of has his eye on all the time, you know, who's sitting at a table or who's, struggling to get through the lunch line or something, he's like, I I haven't, he basically said, I have enough on my plate with these other kids, who he's not connected to at all. So they have an awareness um, that I think Jack gave them. It sounds like it's a weight sometimes, too. A hundred percent a weight sometimes. I'm really watchful for that. My daughter particularly, Rose, is the fourth in line. Um, She's 13. She'll be 14 this summer. And she is a person that feels energy really deeply. There's a metaphor about the canary in the mine. And that's what I call her because she breathes oxygen for everybody else, especially for Jack. And, you know, when his nervous system is high, hers she's right there with him. Um, There's a theory that people like Jack or people who are anxious, their nervous system immediately matches the highest one in the room. So if he walks into a crowd and somebody's really like at a 10, he's at a 10. And he lacks the skill set at this point to bring himself back down. It's a lot of work for him. She is that um, that barometer reader, if you will. He's getting restless mom. He's, you know, he's getting unhappy. And I watch a lot to make sure it doesn't take a toll on her. You know, in school, I want to say two years ago, they had an anti-bullying s- s- series or, you know, a class on it. And I guess they showed a video about a boy with autism who was bullied to the point where he committed suicide. And she was frantic. I'm sure. I mean, Frantic. She slept on our, in our room for two nights. Just, you know, it, it hits so deeply for her. And so, um, yeah, at times it certainly is um, something they, they carry with them.
1: You've written two memoirs, Someone I'm With Has Autism and What Color Is Monday? How Autism Changed One Family for the Better. So what color is Monday? Well,
0: Monday changes. That's the problem. It was orange for a while. First, I was going to name the book Thursday as purple. And he said, sometimes it's purple. And I'm like, dude... <laughs> I'm trying to write a book here. Let's nail it down. <laughs> yeah, I haven't asked him in a while. Uh, it used to be orange. And then a preschool teacher got in touch with me, just a gem of a woman, Emily. And she said, you know, I wonder if he relates it to in, in preschool. Uh, he went to an integrated preschool. They had a chart and every day had a color. Oh, maybe. It's possible. People have asked if he has something called synesthesia, where people assign color to numbers or uh, letters or sort of all sorts of things i don't think he does because my understanding is that people with synesthesia it doesn't change it's like the number two you always see blue. oh okay that's my impression so she may be on to something that maybe he just i mean he has a memory unlike any i've ever seen
1: like the rain man character played by dustin hoffman well, I wouldn't march him off to Vegas and
0: expect to make any money off of him. But I will say he remembers the birthday of every single person he meets. Strangers and all. Strangers and all. Oh, yeah. He'll remember, you know, the last time he ate a hot dog, if it was four years ago. No way. Yeah. He'll announce certain things, you know. So our neighbor, Doug, his birthday is in October. So on that day, Jax, it's, Do- it's Dr. Doug's birthday today. You know, it's like a catalog of information. That's such a
1: wonderful skill set. Seriously.
0: It is a wonderful skill set. However, it's coupled with this vulnerability where he has zero
1: working memory.
0: And so that he has a very hard time applying information to tasks at hand.
1: Oh, in the moment.
0: In the moment. So somebody once described it to me. If you picture a table as our working memory, you know, you might write something on a post-it note and stick it here and and another note here. And then you refer to it like, oh, you know, I have carry at one o'clock and then I'm going to do this. His is clean. He has zero, like, sticky notes lingering in his mind, if that makes sense. You mean those executive functioning skills? Absolutely, 100%. And so, you know, if he's doing a recipe, he has to check it probably six, eight times to Uh. see, like, how many eggs do I really need? He doesn't hold on to information as he uses it. And it's a very difficult thing to grow, to
1: increase. What would he say it's like to have autism?
0: Boy, you have I'm going to be blogging off of these questions. What is it like for Jack? Feel free, it's, is, um, use what, it liberally, however what, you wish. What's fascinating about Jack is he he knows he has autism. He doesn't talk about it a ton, but he's constantly grappling within kind of the spectrum to figure out where he lands. For example, he goes to kids uh, a school with kids who are also diagnosed with varying things, and he'll say, "Well, I'm not like." so-and-so. I'm not like that. I don't do such-and-such. So I think if Jack had the words, he would tell me that autism can be really isolating, because to be a human who is unlike any other human he's ever come across, he doesn't see himself in anybody else.
1: He doesn't feel represented.
0: Doesn't feel represented. Like... I look at you and I think, okay, she's a mother like me. She's a woman like me. We're about the same age. We immediately draw these connections.
1: And I don't think he has that sensation at all. So he just turned 17. Mm -hmm. He works at the pasta place, Table 8 in Bedford, the town next door. Does he get to make pasta? And what does he think about his first job? So he actually first worked at LaBelle Winery doing banquets and things,
0: but carrying chairs and tables is not really Jack's forte. So he went over to table eight. He started there as a dishwasher on Tuesdays from 4.30 to 6.30. And about, I want to say six months ago, they they promoted him. So on Thursdays, he makes pasta. Now, it's this huge stainless steel machine that looks really uh, intimidating to me. But really, it's the perfect job for him. He has to measure out the flour and the ingredients, put it into the back of it, and then depending on what style pasta he's making, he just has to time it of when to cut it. Oh, that's how you do it.: Yeah, I have a video on my website or on my Facebook page. we would love to see it. that?: Yes, because people, I, I posted and people said, "That's so soothing, because you just sit there, you know, there's like this big sort of spatula he uses, and that's Jack to a T. He's intuitively timed. Uh, he has like an internal timer. During the pandemic, our family started this this evening ritual where driven by Jack, as most of our rituals are. This show but hosted by Meredith Vieira called 25 Words or Less. It's, it's cute. It's half hour. I love her. I love her. And so from 730 to 8, that's where our family is every night, Monday through Friday. He knows down to the second how long it will take him to... So he, after dinner, he goes up to his room because that's a lot of words. It's too many words
1: for oh, him at dinner. in the dinner table.
0: And so he goes up, and then I'm telling you, he has like his footsteps timed to when the show's opening song comes on.
1: Isn't that amazing? It's
0: amazing. In his brain. And But he wouldn't tell you that. Do you know what I'm saying? He doesn't have the verbal fortitude to say... I've timed my footsteps. I know I know I'm going to be there or I know how to cut, you know, linguine uh, linguini versus penne, but he just it's like written into his
1: wiring. You write that autism is mysterious and it's beautiful. And that I love you story that you told about Jack is so beautiful. What else is beautiful and what's mysterious? You know, I do find his honesty
0: beautiful as long as it's not aimed at me. You know, sometimes when he tells me how exhausted I look or I get more moisturizer, I don't find that so beautiful. He does that regularly.
1: What? Don't take it personally. <laughs> don't ta-
0: you have to really don't ever say, how do I look? Oh. Unless you have some armor on. Like you've got to be emotionally steeled for the response. But, you know, I wrote a little bit about that recently. Because at his job about a week and a half ago, an angry customer came in. She was really unhappy. And uh, she kind of went after Jack's beloved manager. And um, on the way home, we pieced the story together. Then Jack took it upon himself to tell the customer to, to stop. Oops. Right. Yeah. So, you know, my husband was like, oh, you know, what if you did that in a situation? And it really escalated. Oh, you know, people are not always
1: using their best brain. And they don't know. And backstory, know,
0: the backstory. It takes a moment or two, at least in his presence to be like, oh, okay, okay. And so, um, you know, we cautioned him about that. and I thought, man, you know, autism gets its sticky little fingers on everything. All along, we have promoted advocacy, loyalty, um championing people. And here he he went to do exactly that, but again, we had to pull him back. So there's always this push pull of like, Tell a joke, but just don't tell it too many times, you know, balancing him, him in the way, that way. And I would say the mysterious part to me lately is I'm, I, I used to be able to be ahead of the curve, right? Like we would go into, say, a Chuck E. Cheese. And I would say, okay, I know he's going to try to bolt out of that door and get in that ride. And he's going to try to eat the popcorn off of that table <laughs> that belongs to other people. I feel I'm not ahead of the curve anymore. I never would have seen that coming. I never would have seen him take it upon himself to defend someone, even though we we promote all of that in our home. And then I never would have predicted like, wow, now we got to tell him the perils of doing that. The goalposts keep getting moved. Exactly. There is no finish line here. And there also, I say this a lot, there are no shortcuts to the work. That comes with raising any child, but I think there's an intensity with it with a diagnosed kiddo.
1: What do people who don't have experience with autism need to understand? Mm. Like the public, how can the public better relate?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think with, with my journey as an ad, advocate for autism, it's just that he's doing the best he can. He doesn't, we're not always our best selves when we're out in public. Um, what, what it looks like in the moment is not always sort of the reality, especially when he was, you know, a, a, a toddler and really losing it. Um, I always love this. I heard, read this somewhere that a tantrum, when you're out and about in Target and you see a kid just losing their mind, if you really look closely, a tantrum has a goal. So they want more gum. They want more cookies. They want to stay longer at a playground. A meltdown is a response to the environment. So the lights are too bright. The water is cold. Uh, the, it's very noisy. I That was such a, like, gem for me to digest. And that's what I would love people to know, not just the differentiation between the, the two, but things are not always as they seem. It's not always some spoiled, angry child. And if one person could sort of bear that compassion, I just think everything would feel better.
1: He's asked to adapt to our environment in any number of ways. And he can't always be flexible the way the world demands. I remember you had written. I think the world could certainly do a better job of adapting to him Mm -hmm. and being more inclusive.
0: And I feel we're making great strides towards that. Even his job at Table 8 is such an example. You know, they said, the owner said, we have no experience with autism. We have, we don't really know anybody. You know, this is really out of our wheelhouse, but we're willing to give it a try. And they, to use another phrase that I write about a lot, they met him where he is. And uh, it's an ongoing process um, because like you said, the goalposts change. But if everyone just sort of met Jack and people like him where they are, growth on both sides is inevitable. They're so generous to have done that. It was a really profound step. Um, and it just opened my eyes. You know, I've always felt people are good. Uh, I, I've never really had a terrible experience where I came away thinking, oh, gosh, you know, that person was such a jerk. I I try to find the... Um, the the not the teaching moments but the growth possibilities in every encounter that might start off a little negatively i mean i have had those but to have somebody say we're willing to take a chance with him with our business was um really inspiring
1: when you think of jack's future what are your thoughts and what are your emotions
0: well, it's it's so interesting you say that because we're sort of at a we're coming up on some important steps. So I still have a lot of fear about his future. He, when he turns eighteen, my husband Joe and I will have to take guardianship for him, um, meaning we will sign documents and go before a court, a judge, and say, yeah, well, we're going to manage his his health needs, his financial needs, and then you know maybe a few other things. And you know, I always say, Jack. Jack's autism has many complex characteristics, but one is he wants things for himself that he may not be able to get for himself. So standing before a judge and signing away his rights will 100% break him. And um, we're starting to talk about it a little bit
1: as a lead-in. What does that mean exactly? To the guardianship piece? How do you know that he will be so upset by that because you're still in the picture and I'm you're going to help him yes live the fullest life that he can
0: i think he values a life of independence and he really pictures that for himself like a lot of people i like yeah. like we should yeah right and in on one hand i'm so grateful that he has this this goal this version of himself he aspires to be yeah on the other hand i don't know we can get him there and that is a special needs parents reality we are doing everything we can to get him to maybe drive a car one day um you know again he has this older by a year brother who will be going off to philadelphia next year you know just living his best life for college in exploring all sorts of new opportunities. And Jack watches him like a hawk. So he knows the difference of who he is versus maybe who his brother or his peers are. And I think uh, that will be a tough day for him. Hopefully, we'll have sort of prepared him enough that it'll be kind of,
1: um, you know, less heartbreaking. What does that mean that you're still responsible in yeah. some way. He'll still live at home. I mean, I know these are hard questions to answer that probably don't have an answer in some cases.
0: Well, our eyes right now are on some programs in the area. So this summer, Jack is going away for three weeks. Now, this is really funny because Jack filled out the application for this program. He put the stamp on the envelope and he mailed it. Nice. And then when he got into it, he said, oh, I'm not going to that. no. No way. Nope, I will not I am not going to Landmark. That's the name of the college in Vermont. I'm not doing it. And so that's so Jack, you know? And now he's you know, that was maybe six weeks ago we got the news that that he does is a good fit for the program. And now he's coming to terms with it. If I go to Landmark, will I have a roommate? So this is a college that has a lot of scaffolding for different kinds of learners. And they have this great summer program where he would live in the dorms and go to the cafeteria, you know, assuming everything with COVID opens up um, to max capacity. And so uh, a program like that, they have four-year programs like that, not only at Landmark, but a few other places. Our goal at this point, he will graduate high school on time, which is a tremendous achievement. And, um, and so our goal is that he would do a four-year program following that. Um, and probably like any college student, really, will still manage his health affairs, will manage his medication. Um, financially, obviously, we'll still take care of him. But the guardianship will give us just that much more time afterwards if we have to continue to say, you know help him choose a place to live, help, you know, be connected to his bank accounts, be connected, be, still arrange the doctor's appointments, things that... After college, people typically assume for themselves.
1: There just are a number of unknowns. There are. For him and for you and Dr. Joe. And Dr. Joe. I do know (laughs) one thing. Jack does not
0: want to live in our house.
1: Oh, he doesn't? No,
0: he does not want to come back and live. He wants to fly.
1: Oh, so that's where some of the tension is. Yes. When you were beginning to describe the guardianship.
0: That's where the tension is, you know. Uh, Just the other day, so the plaza where Table 8 is also has a few other little places, and one of them is a Walgreens. And on Thursday, he announced to me, today, this afternoon, you will drop me off at Walgreens. I will buy some things with my debit card, and I will walk over to Table 8. And, you know, of course, I was nervous because what if the debit card didn't work? What if um, he doesn't ever look where he's going? Somebody backs, you know, a new driver backs into him. Uh, What if somebody really misunderstands him in the middle of the store? And then I had to think, this is what all the work has been for. It is leading up to this point, and and a million points in the future, for him to stretch himself just a little bit. And he did great. He bought Advil, I don't know why, and (laughs) Lifesavers.
1: So Elon Musk has announced that he's on the autism spectrum. How does that sit with you to see public figures? I mean, I think it's great. I think there's a little
0: bit of autism in all of us, to be honest. We just don't have the full gamut for a diagnosis. so I you
1: know, I was sort of thinking that in myself too. like I think everyone can see some behaviors in themselves that also can present as autism, except that autism's a little more obviously more challenging, yeah,
0: well, you know. Uh, I had a teacher, a preschool teacher once say to me, everybody stims. You know, maybe you run a million miles. Maybe you have to chew gum to calm your nervous system. We all have tools that we use to cope. Autism just has, you know, if it's like a jar of marbles, I say, you know, we plucked a couple marbles out. I'm a little bit rigid, you know. My one son is a little bit literal. Um, Jack just took the whole jar for himself. And all of it.
1: <laughs> How greedy! He <laughs> was a little piggish. That's true.
0: So, um, yeah, I mean, he. I, I just have to remember when I w- and want that crystal ball so badly, it will unfold, and.
1: Do you have anxiety or do you just try to live in the moment and not worry too much about the future?
0: You know, my anxiety, I would say, comes and goes along with my hormones. I think that's pretty natural for a woman. Uh, I have a little anxiety. You know, I think a lot of special needs parents feel this way. I, I mean, I know all parents feel this way, but for us, it's magnified. What if I die? Oh, right. Right. What will happen when I'm not here? And um, and I know Joe feels that deeply. Also, um, we do have a big family, and I certainly somebody you know, it's I, I wouldn't burden it to them exactly, but I know that they would be a safety net for him. At the same time, I know I have got to get him set up in an environment that has enough supports to it that he can live his best life. So yeah, I, I have, the other night I woke up thinking. What is he going to do all day? <laughs> because, you know, here we are in New Hampshire. It's a gorgeous spring day, right? It is. So we went out for lunch. He does not do well with long stretches of empty time. He perseverates on sort of odd things. He, I will say this, living with Jack is a little bit like having a butler. Oh. Every day he goes around and he refills everybody's toilet paper. I like him. He does he does towels on Saturday. Now I, I, it's not like we've turned him into our Cinderella. This is how he feels industrious, useful. He, maybe. he feels useful. He sees light bulbs are out; they're changed. He has organized our whole Amazon subscribe and save. He just takes on these tasks that are perfect for him. So, but I'll go home, you know, in a little bit and I'll have to start thinking like, all right, what can I do to keep him busy? So maybe we'll have him bake something. So, you know, as you can imagine, quarantine was long. (laughs) How will he fill days and days when there's no longer school or programs? I can't play cruise ship director forever. It's an exhausting (laughs) role.
1: What was her name?
0: Julie. Oh, is that her name? <laughs> I'm trying to no, remember. I hardly ever watched The Love Boat. Somebody else. Wants I'm to older tell than me about you. That. Well, no, I remember <laughs> it. Something else I was just saying. I never watched. I never watched The
1: Breakfast Club. People thought that was crazy. Oh yeah, that was my age too. Yeah. So on the topic of self care, you're big into Bikram yoga, that hot, sweaty kind. And you've written that there are some parallels to that experience and how Jack experiences the world. What are those parallels?
0: Yeah, I'm huge into yoga. Now I'm doing pa- hot power yoga. It's still just as hot and, like, challenging. Well, I think being able to sit with discomfort. We work a lot with uh, with all of our kids on that. And I think it's a little bit of a lost lesson in this culture of impulse and I want it now and can I get it delivered in two hours and DoorDash me We've lost the ability to sit with discomfort. Yoga is a reminder every day that I can do that and even come out a little bit stronger for it. And to learn how to sit in the discomfort, we talk a lot at home about with, with all of our kids about breathing exercises. And again, back to that regulation piece, how can you bring your nervous system down when you're at a 10? You know, we are a big family. As you know, my husband's a great big Italian guy. He lives at a twelve. You know, he is always like he's up there. I think in the office he's a little quieter than he is. At home. He
1: does seem very gentle.
0: He's gentle, but he's just, you know, oh, we're going to make pizza tonight and he's a lot of moving parts. He's he's I mean, you can't see me. Your audience can't see me, but now I'm gesturing boldly. He's moving all the time. He has ideas all the time. And so we've decided as a family we're really much more comfortable at a 6 <laughs> versus a 12. <laughs> We work to stay in that six and we, you know, bring our toolkit right along with us, whether it's breathing or taking a quiet moment. I've begun recently to utilize something that I read about. It's actually something people in recovery use called HALT. So we want to respond quickly to a triggered situation. We feel angry, feel enraged. You just take a moment and say, am I hungry? Am I angry? Am I lonely? Am I tired? Just that exercise alone brings my nervous system down. And then when I have a vulnerability, maybe I am a little hungry and I can can address that basic, basic need. I come from a place of discovery once again. And so we have a lot of those ongoing dialogues to keep ourselves in in a place where we can take in information and learn from it.
1: You do and you don't regret telling the world that Jack has autism before Jack was ready for the world to know. Could you explain
0: Well, I, yeah, I wrote that a while ago, because now I don't regret it at all, to be honest. But back then, he was so tender. Someone once said to me, you know, a woman who's known me through this whole journey, and she said, when I first met you, it was like you had these mother wings wrapped around him, right? And you would only let him peek out and let people really see him occasionally. And then sort of as the the years went on, I started to kind of open my mother wings a little bit, I guess I was sorry when I told people and they no longer saw the boy. They saw the diagnosis first, which is inevitable. It still happens to this day. But now I realize keeping it a secret or shrouding him wasn't going to really reverse that reaction to who he was. So um, now we're all in. <laughs> it's, we, it is sort of, you know, we live out loud, I say. As I tell him, it is a part of who you are, just like blue eyes and light brown hair and being tall. It's just one piece of many that makes up Jack Cariello. How do you
1: parent the unlikable side of autism?
0: It is a balancing act because there, is, there are unlikable sides of autism. I try to remind myself this is autism, not the boy. And I try to remind myself this is where the work is. Because let me give you an example. You know, a few years ago, maybe, maybe six, eight or nine years ago, he was hitting people. And my sister-in-law said, the law doesn't care if you have autism. You can't hit people, right? So I carry that advice in similar pieces with me. The world doesn't care. Jack cannot act a certain way simply. It doesn't give him permission to behave in a way that's terribly inappropriate or rude um, You know, at the end of the day, we want people to like our children. That Mm -hmm. is just the bald fact of motherhood. And uh, while I don't sort of cater to that, um, it's in my mind that
1: I need to to give him the ability to be his best self. So you've written two memoirs. You're a blogger at HuffPost and The Today Show. And you've run the Boston Marathon. But what other goals do you have for yourself? Well,
0: I have a book proposal out now to cover autism and puberty. So we'll see if that gets any traction. I haven't heard back yet from anybody. It's so interesting you asked me that, though. I'm, we have the Peloton bike. I don't use it. I'm not a cyclist, but I did download the Peloton app for running. And um, I love it. Love it. And one guy that I, one coach, Matt Wilper, said, if you don't have goals for yourself, the world will tell you what you want. And I just really took that with me, that it's time to put some things on the calendar. We're out of COVID now. The world is opening up. And so last week, I ran a 10-mile race. That was one of my goals.
1: Great job. Yeah,
0: which was fun. I know your daughter's a runner, so uh, this is nothing compared to the world. what's more than I do. do? Well, (laughs) I felt good with it. My goal also is to start expanding maybe beyond autism a little bit as I write. Writing is something that absolutely lights me up inside. It is a part of me now. I've vlogged every Monday for the past nine years. Every single Monday, I have a new post. And I don't know how, who I would be without that um, that place to put my energy and my thoughts. So, you know, but in two years, God willing, my subject might walk right out the door and live somewhere else. Yes. <laughs> right. But, you know, as I, I continue to discover and explore, it's like what we talked about earlier. There's so many women's issues that go underground. Um, there are so many parenting issues that we don't want to touch um, when, when the ugly side of, of motherhood is, is, um, is where we're living, right? I, I want to explore that. And so uh, that's kind of my, my
1: short-term goal. I read Scary Mommy, and those are some really well-written subjects. Mm, they're raw. I want
0: to see the raw side of it all. Yeah. I know social media gave all of us the opportunity to be our shiny, bright selves, and I work really hard not to give into that on my pages. Um, I mean, I, I'll post a happy thing if there is a happy thing. I, I don't shy away from being vulnerable. You know, last summer, my youngest son can be he's – a, he's, a, he's a force, right, my Henry – And he's a great kid, but he's a lot. He's a lot from the moment his eyes open in the morning till they go to sleep at night, you know. And he had a Kindle or a Nook, and he drove me so crazy that I slammed it on the counter and it shattered. And I was heartbroken. And I thought, you know, and I posted about that because I refuse to believe I'm alone. I think at the end of the day, that sort of circles back to the purpose of any advocacy work I do, any writing I do. I refuse to believe I'm alone in this.
1: These are universal feelings.
0: Yes. And that time and time again are the messages I get. That's the feedback I get. It feels so good to know I'm not alone in the messy, ordinary, complicated side of life.
1: Would you be willing to help me attract new listeners? Rating and reviewing my show through Apple Podcasts helps people discover the podcast. Telling your friends to listen and sharing this episode on your social media channels also helps, please and thank you. If you have a story you'd like to share or if you know an interesting person I should contact, message me on social media. Or drop me a line at diaryofanation at gmail.com. Find Diary of a Nation through your favorite podcast app. Follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Diary of a Nation. You can subscribe to Carrie's blog by visiting carriecariello.com. Look at the show notes for this episode to find a link to her website.